Hello and welcome to the Max Smooth Theater and Performance Podcast. This is our June preview where we talk about what we're excited to see at the theater this month. Enjoy the show. I haven't seen it in a while. I know! I had a late, had a late night too. I'm a little scruffy today. Yeah. What were you all doing out so late? I have a friend who's uh, in from out of town. We just, we're just drinking, talking about politics. Karaoke. <laughs> What's your go-to? Uh, I think we're alone now by Tiffany. <laughs> nice. Ooh, that's a that's an interesting one. It's a that's good rare. one. Yeah, well, first I've, concert ever, Tiffany. I feel like because I'm not a big karaoke person, but if you choose a song that everyone's like, "Oh my god," and then yeah. everyone sings along, it's not really karaoke. That's it's just singing right. in a room. Yeah, um, which is my style of karaoke. Yeah, I like doing stuff that's out of character for me. I like mm-hmm. I don't know. I've been going with friends. What would that? What, be? What, what's your go-to karaoke song? Uh, I have a few, but uh, the one uh, is always. Uh, um, uh, Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. Perfect. That's, That's a good it's a, one. It's the last thing someone expects me to say. I like it. Um, so, and then I just wail on it. Um, nice. Lindsay? Oh, my go-to karaoke is not to go to karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> good oh, Lord. We're going to change that. I'm going to change that. I'm the ultimate party pooper. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what are we talking about? Talking about June? We're talking about June. That's exciting. June, June, June. Yep. It's uh, it's 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 starting to be uh, relatively the quiet times in New York City because on the one hand, yeah, on the one hand, I mean, on the other, it's festival season. That's the thing is like it's it's not quite like the January festivals where it feels like it's the only thing going on um, in January in New York, but. uh, because like there's still shows that are open, by the way, you know, and there's still you know people have summer seasons and things like that. I mean, we do Shakespeare in the Park, obviously, but. It's also, you know, all of the sort of off-Broadway theaters are closing out their seasons to go dark for the summer. And, um, yeah, so it feels like a comparatively quiet time or the beginning of a comparatively quiet well, time. Well, I also think that there are so many other things going on in the city during the summer right. that yeah. it overshadows the theater scene a bit. Yeah. But yeah, there's still sure. lots of great stuff to see. There's a lot. I was surprised when I was going through all the lists yeah. for this. I'm feeling good. Feeling Let's good start with, with intros. Jack. Hello, I'm Jack. Uh, I'm a literary associate at the uh, Public Theater here in New York City, uh, but uh, I'm here in my personal capacity and my views are my own. How did I stumble on that? I've always, that's the first time I've stumbled over my <laughs> you intro. forget what you do? I you, forgot what I did I, for a second. I think it's the, that becoming a thing, it's gotten into your head. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so that's, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> that's me, gang. Liz. Uh, I'm Liz. I am Fuck Yeah Great Plays, and I'm also now writing a theater advice column on Stage and Candor. Awesome. Make what? sure you let us know when that comes out so we can retweet I will. it it's, and spread uh, it. Yeah, it's monthly. The next one's going to come out at the end of the month. Cool. Awesome. And I'm Lindsay, the editor. Okay, previewing what we're excited to see in June. Do you want to kick us off, Jack? I do. I want to pause for a minute. That's the first time I think that I've been here that you've introduced yourself as the editor of Maximo. I'm You're trying out a lot of titles these days. for a better title. I like it. Showrunner. Why do you deny? Yeah, Showrunner, Showrunner really is a good one. Too grand. But but you are grand. You are so grand. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's fine. We're gonna call you Showrunner. You can call yourself whatever. <laughs> button pusher. What was the one? The... <laughs> I, I press the record button. I press yeah, the record button. I mean, that is technically what I do. All right, but I guess we'll talk about shows. We'll come back to that in a minute. Okay. Um, so, okay, one of the shows that I'm the most excited for uh, that is uh, has already started uh, on May 19th, um, but uh, is going to be uh, playing through the month of June, is a new play by MCC, world premiere by Hallie Pfeiffer. And it has uh, the title of, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Gynecologic Oncology Unit at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center of New York City. And uh, that is a long title. I think the uh, most of the kudos that I want to give right now to the show go to whoever uh, posts stuff on the marquee of the Lucille Lortel Theater. Because <laughs> if you walk by the Lortel where this show is playing right now, um, it is they fit the whole title on the marquee. That is wow. impressive. And I don't know who that person is who put those letters up. It's like an old-fashioned theater marquee for those who've never been to the Lortel. And it, it, all the words are there. And I just I took a photo of it and I was like, this is that is work. That is fine work. Someone looked at that and went, I gotta get all. I gotta go to the hardware store and get the right lettering. It's a whole thing. It was, that was <laughs> that was. I guarantee you, that was several trips to the hardware store. Um, but it all got done. Uh, so for those who don't know, Hallie Pfeiffer um, was last with us uh, in New York City 
with her play, uh, I believe at the Atlantic, which was called um, uh, I'm Gonna Pray For You So Hard, uh, which was a two-hander about a... uh, a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright and his daughter and their sort of uh, contentious and increasingly violent relationship. That was one of the best plays I saw that year it came out. I think that was, could it have even been as, as recently as last year? I think so. Um, yeah. And it's it was a, I have never seen a more violent play in which not a single punch is thrown, there are no mm-hmm. weapons, there's no blood, but it is an emotionally, spiritually violent play. It was deeply unsettling and immediately announced that Hallie was like a playwright that everyone needs to pay attention to. So please pay attention because she has another play in town. Um, this is based uh, on uh, sort of uh, an experience that Hallie had uh, when she uh, herself was uh, waiting in a cancer ward when she was younger. And the story of this play is that two people meet in the waiting room of a cancer ward, uh, both who are wa- awaiting news uh, about their mothers, uh, who both uh, have two different uh, types of cancer. Uh, one of the people in the waiting room is a 20-something comedian uh, who is played by uh, Beth Bears, I believe is her name. She's on the two Broke Girls show on the some network. Uh, I hear it's I want to say right. CBS. Yeah, she's the blonde yeah. one on that show. So she plays this sort of like this foul-mouthed like insult comic in her 20s and then the great national treasure that is Eric Lochtfield plays a, a guy in his 40s um, who is in the middle of a nasty divorce and they sort of develop a they start chatting uh, in this in this cancer ward, um, and uh, who knows what happens next. Um, I think that if you explained this, uh, I say this a lot in this podcast, but if you, again, if you just showed me that plot synopsis, I might not be that interested. But the fact that it's Hallie Pfeiffer and that I know what she's capable of, having seen I'm Gonna Pray For You So Hard, uh, I think that this is going to be an explosive play in ways that nobody at this table or through these microphones are going to be able to anticipate. She reminds me a little bit of Brandon Jacob Jenkins in that mm-hmm. way. I was just going to say that. Because she is someone who uh, who is an incredibly intelligent, specific playwright who uh, is like a master of language, but actually uh, the most effective moments of her work in addition and and I would say the same thing about Brandon are the moments of silence the 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 wordless final moments of her previous play in town were some of the most devastating moments of theater I've ever seen on stage and and uh, I I hope I hope that uh, we're gonna have a sort of an analogous moment in this play um, but I think it's gonna be funny I think it's going to be dark and uh, I think that it will be another reason to sort of rush to one of Hallie's plays um, she's also uh, it's worth saying at this point now amazing with titles both of the titles of the plays that I'm of hers that I'm familiar with have the greatest titles of all time so it's interesting that this is based on an actual experience from her life because her earlier play also had elements that were from her life it sounds like that's something she does is adapt her own personal experiences into fictional plays they're not biographical by any means but there are strong elements of them there's one other thing i want to say about this piece uh that's sort of like in a like a you know thirty thousand feet view um and that is i think that and and this could all be moot once we all see the play and realize it has nothing to do with this but my suspicion is that this play uh, at least in its setup, is going to try to talk about how can we joke in times of absolute misery and despair and crisis. And it's something that, like, you know, we talk about um, stand-up comedy a lot on this, podca- on this podcast. And, uh, you know, there's sort of a national moment that has been ongoing about what can you joke about. And when, you know, comedians get in hot water for making a particularly uh, insensitive joke. And I'm really interested in the examination of that through a performing arts medium because I think it is important to for artists to be able to push the boundaries through humor and then kind of figuring out where those lines are and how you cross them and when you cross them. That is something that I think is seems to be in the DNA of this play. I'm very excited to see how Hallie deals with that. Um, this is... Uh, uh, directed by Trip Coleman, um, I should also mention, who is is a, is a wonderful director. Uh, he directed Punk, uh, punk Rock uh, most recently, um, in, a bun- in addition to a bunch of other stuff. Um, yeah, I'm very, very excited. Um, funny thing happened on the way to the, you know, the rest of the title. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, cool. Liz. All right, so I'm going to talk about Universal Robots, which is new. Well, it's not new. It's a it's a remount of the Mac Rogers uh, play that we're going to do at the Sheen Center. Uh, we all loved Honeycomb Trilogy last year. This is another one. So, to back up theatrical history wise, we get R U R, which is a Czech play by Karel Čapek. Uh, it was written in 1920, and it's the play that introduced the word robot to the world. 
Get out of here. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. He invented the word robot and is considered like the one of the cornerstones of uh, science fiction. Get out of there. All yeah. Right. So uh, he wrote this play and it's technically, if we want to get like real dorky about it, um, what he describes in the play are not really robots. They're more like androids or cyborgs. They're people. They look like people. They have independent thought. They take over the world. Um, so Mac Rogers Universal Robots takes the story of the creation of Carol Chapek's RUR as fact and interprets that as a sort of um, an alternate history where Carl Chipik uh, stumbles upon a mysterious mannequin, tries to figure it out post, uh, post-war Czech Republic, 1921, and what happens when there's a robot uprising. It's, so it's like this alternate timeline history that to me sounds like it sort of overlaps with RUR. Oh, interesting. In an interesting way. And I mean, we know that, that Mac Rogers has a great grasp of science fiction writing. That's his bag. Yeah, totally. So I'm sure he's, you know, I, I just I'm, can't wait to see. I love RUR. I studied it in college. I've been to Prague twice. Like, I, I love Czech writing. Mm. And... I always say, like, I'm so surprised nobody does it because it is, because it's this cornerstone that robots, it's like the original piece for that and nobody does it. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested to see how he plays with that and plays with it as fact. And I think we have a big love of apocalyptic fiction now, mm. too. And I don't know. I, there's just a lot of cool elements in there. It, that I, I'm interested in. It sounds a lot like. Do you ever see Shadow of the Vampire? No. The movie. There's a. It's a movie that's about the making of Nosferatu. Oh right, right, and right. And Willem Dafoe yeah. plays Max Schreck, who was the who was the uh, the vampire character. And the sort of the the lore on set was that the actor was so weird that he might have actually been a vampire. Yes. And so I the have Shadow of the Vampire them. is about the making of that film where it actually supposes that Max Schreck was indeed an actual vampire. Yeah. And so it's a, it's so it sounds similar like taking that sort of fantastical element as fact and then kind of and playing around. Playing around with it. with it, yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah, um, that's kind of all I got on it. I just, I, I'm very excited, and I know that they did this play, uh, Gideon. Is it Gideon Productions? Is their company? Um, did it maybe five, ten years ago, uh, but I haven't seen it since. So it's back, and it's robots. And where's this playing again? Sorry, it's the Sheen Center. Oh, the Sheen Center, the the lovely Sheen Center. I'm excited for that too, and I am going to do an interview with Mac on the podcast. So awesome. I'm really excited. Great. Yeah. That so, are you going to talk to him about the message? Yes. Oh, please, <laughs> I love the message. That'll be out after this episode. So um, it's, awesome. it's, it's a little uh, deviation from our every other week summer schedule, but I couldn't pass up an opportunity to talk to Mac. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, the play coming up soon that I am excited for is The Healing by Sam Hunter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sam, we know, is a award-winning playwright. We may know him from The Whale, A Bright New Boise, The Few, Pocatello, and other things. Um, MacArthur genius Indeed. Person. Award-winning, multiple award-winning playwright. Uh, this play is directed by Stella Powell-Jones, and it is made in collaboration with a theater company called Theater Breaking Through Barriers, which was founded in 1979 as Theater for the Blind. And it's a theater company that combines able-bodied actors with artists with disabilities. And my understanding, based on an interview that Sam did um, on another podcast that we'll link to, is that this was a commission, and he made it with specific actors in mind. Um, you know, I love Sam's writing for being so personal and eloquent and really diving into the core of human sorrow and loneliness and what it is that challenges us and ultimately gets us through difficult days. And I don't know if this play will address those same theme themes, um, but I think there's a thread of that through all of the work that, of his that I've seen. Um Plot-wise, this is about a group of friends who met at a summer camp where the head counselor secretly taught them that their disabilities could be, quote-unquote, cured through the power of prayer. Jesus. Oh, yes. my God. And 25 years, they are, 25 years later, they are reuniting after one of them passes away and, you know, things ensue. So I think it sounds like an interesting premise. Yeah. Um, and I'm just excited to see what, 
the next this next play by by Sam Hunter is all about. I do believe this is a world premiere here in New York City. Um, it is at Theater Row. Starts performances start June 11th, and the tickets are a little pricey. They're fifty five dollars, um, and I don't even believe they're on sale yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also expect that there will be some discounts out there. Hopefully they'll be available on TDF. So it won't be too costly to experience this new work by Sam Hunter. Yeah. I've heard a lot of great things about that theater company. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, that's awesome. That's going to be so cool. Yeah. It sounds really interesting. In action. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Next up, Jack. All right. I want to talk about a festival um, because it is uh, summer begins the festival season where a lot of smaller theaters and larger theaters are doing uh, festivals of new work and classics and all kinds of stuff. Um, and I'm very excited because uh, the Brick in Brooklyn is uh, doing a festival this June of, uh, of trans theater, theater by uh, trans artists. And uh, this is a uh, festival that is going to be co-curated, uh, is co-curated uh, by two artists that I love deeply and, and have immense respect for, and that's Maybe Burke and MJ Kaufman, who, full disclosure, is a current member of the Public Theater's Emerging Writers Group, which I run. And uh, so they've put together uh, this incredible uh, lineup of, of work, multidisciplinary work, uh, theater and sort of performance art and dance and a few other things, and I think there's going to be some kind of a lecture series as well. Um, that is intended to celebrate the performance of trans stories by trans artists, which is something that, you know, is is becoming an increasing uh, need uh, throughout the country as uh, we're entering this moment, it feels like, of, of, of a peak moment thus far in visibility of trans people in America. Um, obviously, you know, we have Emmy Award winners and reality TV stars who are, who are trans and who are very visible. I think that uh, as those stories, as we start to, as we as a theatrical community start to tell more stories about trans lives, the, it, it is incredibly necessary to ensure that trans artists are at the center of those processes. And so this is an opportunity to do just that. I think it's a wonderful way to introduce um, the uh, uh, the New York community at large uh, to uh, to these artists, uh, many of whom have been uh, living and working in New York for a long time. So, you know, you can go to the Bricks website, which is at bricktheater.com, and see the full lineup. I won't bore you with all of the many, many things that are going to be going on. Uh, but maybe Burke uh, has a show, um, which is called Love's Letters to Nobody uh, or uh, uh, Insignificant Others, which is a series of love letters that maybe wrote over the course of their lives, uh, of course, their life about uh, addressed to and about um, uh, exes. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful play that I got. Uh, I was lucky enough to be able to read it, and so I encourage you to check that one out in particular. That's running from June 11th to the 22nd. Um, that's directed by Ariel Mahler. And then uh, there's just some other really cool shit that's that is. Uh, I'm just kind of scrolling through the website now. Um, and uh, I think one of the oh Kit Yan is a, uh, Kit Yan Productions is also doing a show. Um, uh, Kit Yan is a uh, uh, I saw recently a musical that Kit uh, did that was sort of about a, a, a trans uh, musician um, and going sort of through the the ins and outs of the music industry. Uh, that was really lovely, beautiful music. Um, and so uh, they will be also be uh, in this festival. Um, so like like sort of the January festivals, my recommendation, if you are at all interested in going to see this, is to kind of just work around your schedule, pick shows that sound interesting to you. Um, I'm sort of hesitant to say like the, the any few more that I'm particularly excited about just because I think this is a moment to really ex- to really explore um, this community that um, absolutely needs a spotlight shed on it. Um, yeah, it feels like a long time coming, a festival like this that is of this size um, for trans artists. And I'm really, really thrilled um, that we're going to get a chance to see all this work. Yeah, I hope it turns into an annual event. Yeah, the nice. Brick always, I think the Brick does my favorite festivals. They cut, they're just always, the the topic is very specific and they're always well curated. Uh, you know, they do, I think this, they've done the video game festival, the, the stage fighting festival. And they're always interesting and it's always a really nice mix of pieces. So I think anything in there is probably a, a good bet. 
Yeah. You know, it's also, um, I mentioned that there is not just theater. They're also sort of like separate on their website. There's, uh, they're going to be screening a documentary. They're going to be screening a, a web series that was created by trans artists, um, sort of movement experimental dance pieces. Um, and then uh, uh, Taylor Adelhart is going to be doing uh, a couple of nights, a, a workshop called Pronouns 101, which <laughs> is a lightly theatricalized workshop on queer and pronoun uh, etiquette in, in theatrical workplaces, which I think will be valuable. I'll definitely be um, going to that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's that this is uh, something I'm going to be frequenting quite a bit in the next month. Great. Yeah. All right. So I want you to keep in mind that the last thing I talked about was um, Czech theater history, because I'm going to go to a show called Hashtag Liberated, <laughs> um, which does anyone remember uh, the, the Kardashian Hashtag Liberated thing? Am I talking, have, to, am I talking to the wrong crowd here? I think you're um, going to have to do another history lesson yeah, for us. Yeah, okay. So that's why I'm saying keep in mind that I did just talk about Czech theater history, and I'm going to go to the Kardashians here. Um, I contain multitudes. Yeah. Uh, so a little while ago, there was this issue where Kim Kardashian tweeted a naked selfie, and it I remember got huge backlash. And all these people were like, I can't believe it. You're a mother. How can you be doing this? Blah, blah, blah. So then in response, which I think is hilarious, was an even more like artfully lit, black and white, naked selfie. Hashtag liberated. And that was the whole thing. And that was her, her response to it. So hashtag liberated is a new play by Lillian Meredith. Um, they've been developing it with the living room. And it's about these women who form sort of a, a support group for the daily trials of being a woman. And in a fit of just frustration and anger, they decide that the way to combat everything is to self-produce their own female-friendly feminist porn and release it themselves. And, you know, that's the way they're going to to take their sexual empowerment into their own hands and release it. And so this is about what happened, what the repercussions are of women claiming and owning and packaging and selling their own sexuality to the world and how that comes back to them. So I, I read about this and I went, you know, it could either be awesome or spectacularly bad. Because it's a very nuanced issue and there's, I don't think even within like the feminist community that there's a lot of, there's many different opinions on something like this about, you know, what does it mean to post a picture of yourself naked? Um, But since I read about it, I keep thinking about it and I think about all the different points within that issue. So again, it might be great. It might be awful. But there's a lot to be discussed in this topic. And I can't stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's a good sign that I want to check it out, even if it is, you know, who knows where it goes. I'm I'm fascinated by that. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I thank you for the history lesson because I realized, of course, I did like you know, intersect. See, I, I remember yeah, that selfie. It, yeah. There, it's all sort of like, it's like all in our collective consciousness, yeah, yeah. which it, which yeah. is, I think another point. Well, because that was the other thing too about it was, I think it was also that what fascinated me about that moment. And maybe this is like sort of a springboard for discussion in this play is the idea of, of her being a very visible and very sort of, you know, uh, it, the fact that it is Kim Kardashian who did it, mm-hmm. who is sort of the person who, at least for this moment defines like the performance of the idea of celebrity and the idea and, and, that sort of mixed in with all the things that she's saying and what this photo represents and what what she should be doing as a mother and as a woman, what she shouldn't be doing. The sort of performance Mm -hmm. of celebrity mixed into that, it makes for a very interesting stew of ideas. Right. Um, uh, And then, of course, the difference between it being uh, Kim Kardashian versus, like, the part like your neighbor or right. like mm-hmm. your teacher or yeah. you know, how that affects people who don't have the fame and the money to tamp it yeah. down and ignore it. Yeah. 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 It's a, a very, very interesting. Um, speaking of naked ne- next door neighbors, Antfest. <laughs> I did not know where <laughs> was that your going? segue? That's my shot of the segue this right. time. Guys. Um, okay. So Antfest at Ars Nova is an annual theater festival in June that is heavily curated, I think it's an important point, is heavily curated by Ars Nova and gives a platform to emerging hybrid theater artists. So we're talking about this sort of multidisciplinary work that we often get to see at the January theater festivals. 
and it involves a lot of music there's a lot of theater also comedy and every other thing you can imagine burlesque movement magic um different artists each one gets one performance only all the performances are at 7 p.m and all the tickets cost approximately 20 dollars once you add in the fees and such um, they are a maximum of 90 minutes and there is no intermission so they have about 42 different artists involved in the festival this year. And much like Jack was saying with the Trans Theater Festival, the best thing to do is just go to their website, scroll through, click on things that you think sound interesting and might be willing to check out. Like I said, the tickets are pretty cheap and the runtime is pretty short. So even if it's not fantastic i think um delving into this world and seeing a few things there is worth your time because oftentimes as we just heard liz say things this is the beginning of the life and then they go on to play at slightly larger venues and grow from there and a lot of theater artists that we talk about repeatedly on this podcast have had experiences at Antfest. so these are artists at the sort of emerging or the start of their career when they're but but once they're starting to gain traction, once mm -hmm. they have enough credibility to submit an application to a company that really knows the current state of theater and hybrid performance and, and get over a hurdle. And I appreciate that kind of curatorial input prior to um, diving in to this type of space if you have limited time and resources to mm -hmm. attend the theater. Um, now, some of these artists are already have already had shows and so they have a following and so their shows sell out quickly there are shows on the list already sold out mm -hmm. um but they do will have a wait list before each show for 30 minutes prior to the performance then there's all these other things that surround the festival so um ars nova has a bar in it so they open 30 minutes early and it's a festive bar type atmosphere there is an after party every night um up on the third floor loft lounge at ars nova which i've actually never been to but sounds quite fabulous yeah it's great um they also will have lounge performances some nights up in that space and then they're doing two showgasms the john hurley hosted variety show party during the course of um of the ant fest so i want to talk about a couple of specific performances just that caught my eye and i don't know anything about these artists other than i too was scrolling through the website and learning new information about new people and these ones caught my eye um so the first one and uh, most of the ones i'm going to mention are musical acts because they had links to their music which i was able to listen to and thereby in that I could tolerate 90 minutes spent with this artist. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first one is Chamber Band doing a show called In the Time Traveler's Attic. Um, and the every show has just the briefest of descriptions. And this one is burrow with them into the whirling and rueful science fiction realm of H.G. Wells and the time traveler that got away. Um, their music is available also on Spotify, so you can check them out. Another one is Andrew Hefner, Houseworld Presents the Sensitive Ear. Did any of you guys see their immersive show last year called Houseworld? It was at a church in Brooklyn. No. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, it's supposed to be fantastic. Um, so this, I think, what they're, they describe it as an eclectic compilation concert of the immersive theater hit Houseworld's musical guests. So I think it's people who performed in that doing... I think mostly new music. Uh, tickets to that one are a little hard to come by. Um, and then... Emily Bate, who worked with Aaron Markey on the music for Irish Cream recently at Abrams, um, she's doing a piece called Going Down Mount Moriah, a freaky feminist choral piece that we promise probably won't bite. So that's the kind of stuff I focused on, the yeah. musical elements of it, which I was able to, like I said, discern via the website I would probably like. But there's a lot of comedy that I kind of would... There's all kinds of things, but it seems like those are the two types oh. of performance that have the strongest presentations there and by strongest i just mean in multitude not in quality um but i want to mention one more thing which i'm trying to psych myself up to go to and it's called bar for one and it is a bar for one created intended by will petra and it's in residency in the lounge and you make a reservation for a 15 minute window and whatever the performance is it's just for you 
I love that stuff. I love one on one theater so much. Yeah. I you mean, sound terrified, but I think it I'm sounds great. I'm very frightened of all interactive theater, as we know, but it sounds really <laughs> interesting. I'm going to try to go to that. The, I'm going to try to the, psych myself up to make a reservation. Okay. It's only 15 minutes of your life, Lindsay. Exactly. For goodness sake. I mean, there's a couple of things to say about it. I mean, one of the things that I love about Anfest is just that it is. It is unpredictable and completely adventurous no matter mm-hmm. what you're doing and one of the things i really like about anfest is that it's also a place for people who primarily um you know operate in very specific um art forms mm-hmm. like very you know so they're straight playwrights or they're performance artists or they're musicians to kind of play around their comfort zone a little bit and to kind of see what else they can do like there's a there's a couple of um i know there's a couple of like very straightforward playwrights who are doing some devised work um as part of Anfest, which is very exciting i to have me. the brochure if you want to look them up it's it a remarkable what a good looking brochure it's a great brochure quality brochure i've ever seen that communicates the least amount of information <laughs> yeah it's, it's very pretty beautiful designed what looks like a map with a key that separates all the performers performers into like you know mountains or rivers yeah. and then tries to group them along the lines of some kind of style or yeah. unifying theme it is not helpful at all that's what i love about it it is so <laughs> beautiful and very unhelpful but on the back there is actually a list yeah um i i will uh, endeavor to look through this uh, but the but that is my way of saying that i feel like this is also a really good moment to like just sort of celebrate ars nova and what they do because it, you know th- they're having a, a banner year right now because a show that started in their very humble space um you know up in the uh, you know the west side in the 50s uh is now going to be on broadway and natasha yep. pierre and the great comedy of 1812 started there and now is going to be the Josh Groban, uh, Josh Groban spectacular. Yeah, and the first Broadway transfer. And it's a, it's an incredible moment because it, I Ars Nova has deserved its reputation at this point as being a place where. Um, people, really interesting, adventurous, daring artists kind of can make their start and feel at home. There is such a lack of. Um, of of pretension about what they do they really are a playground for um emerging artists who are just trying to try shit out and not feel the pressure of of colossal failure um and it's it, that should be celebrated and the fact that they have their first broadway transfer is amazing and uh they also have an off-broadway commercial transfer with small mouth sounds small mouth sound, yeah. Yeah. i'm gonna say you know i don't, oh, you don't look at it? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, uh, I don't see much musical theater at all, and the ones that I do are usually like, fairly well-developed on their way to Broadway, but I will always see new musicals at Ars Nova because I know they're not going to be basic. I know that they're yeah. going to have a great twist, and I, and I haven't been disappointed there yet. Right, they also did The Lisps they, Futurity last year, yeah, right? not at their space, but they were one of the co-producers on that with the play company, I want to say. Uh, with uh, Soho Rep. Shit. Yeah. Mm. They have Why that. They did. That? They did Sky Pony. They've developed like some of the Joe Iconis yeah. stuff. I mean, Debate Society. Debate uh, Society. Oh, you know, God, Bridget yeah. Everett got her start there. And um, as long as we're on the subject of you know uh, Broadway successes, Lin Manuel Miranda was a member of their play group yeah. and right uh, before In the Heights sort of took over Broadway. Um, oh, right, Freestyle of Supreme did a bunch of stuff there. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and Lynn has talked very publicly about how that was sort of felt like his first artistic home when he was really making a go for it in New York, and it was a place that he could experiment and do, you know, improvised, you know, hip hop uh, theater, um, you know, in their space, uh, and just sort of play without a net a little bit. And so it's this is a moment to really celebrate them because I don't think that they get uh, often. Uh, they don't get called out for how amazing they are and how singular they are in the landscape of New York theater. But I have nothing but admiration and, and complete respect for what they do at Ars Nova. And I, I would like to add that if if you're unsure or tentative uh, about them, go to Showgasm. I don't want to spoil it for you, but they, it's so much fun. I feel mm-hmm. like it's a nice way to dip your toe into this realm that maybe if it feels a little too avant-garde for you, which it's not really, it's not. but... I mean, what, who am I to talk? But I, I don't know. I, I think Showgasm is a lot of fun, and I think it's super accessible, and people should go see it. Yeah. And tickets for the Showgasms during Antfest are only $5, and if you pay 20 you, you get two drinks and a slice of pizza. Fuck yeah. See, that's that's the kind of theater I like. That's just that's just neighborly. So yay, ours, Nofa. Okay, Jack, do you have another one? I do. I have one more, Um, you know, uh, sort of uh, piggybacking off the... Uh, 
Were you going to talk about this one? Yes! Wait, is there a theft happening? Uh-oh. Yes, it's one that we didn't talk about, and we both... That's okay, go ahead. It's okay. <laughs> I think I, I put it on my thing. Did you? I did, yeah. It's okay, go ahead. Mm. All okay. right, I'm sorry. Well, we're going to... We're gonna. I, I was going to say... You can do it jointly. I'm, okay. I was going to... Speaking of Mac Rogers, uh, there is a, a type of theater that's near and dear to my heart, and that is uh, I, what I'm going to just describe as genre theater. Sort of, uh, I, when I say genre theater, I tend to think of stuff like in the Mac Rogers vein, who writes very much with a science fiction sensibility. I think of uh, Queen Yen and the Vampire Cowboys, who write from a very like comic book, like kung fu movie kind of aesthetic uh, that is very rarely explored in theater and tends to exist on the fringes. Um, and the play I'm going to talk about is called Radiant Vermin uh, by Philip Ridley. Uh, those uh, who don't know Philip Ridley may have heard uh, his, uh, he's a an English playwright who is produced quite frequently in the UK um, and uh, has made some appearances stateside. Last year, the new group produced uh, the American premiere of Mercury, another American premiere. Well, maybe it was. I don't think it was. Okay, maybe it was here before. But But Mercury Fur, which was uh, his sort of post-apocalyptic play about like a devastated London that is um, sort of been taken over by the uh, persistence of of butterflies that have hallucinogenic properties and have sort of like put everybody in a stupor. Um, and it's an incredibly violent world that it, uh, is for, has sort of a, um, a, a torture porn aesthetic, I guess is what I would describe as it. It was a, it was a very divisive play. Philip Ridley is a very visceral writer, um, but writes these uh, plays that sort of feel like um, they're sort of like a Martin McDonough on acid is what I like to describe <laughs> them as. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it, just take In Bruges and, and watch it on LSD. That's kind of an idea of what Philip Ridley does. And so Radiant Vermin is, a, I'm interested in it, and I guess Liz is too, because it's a, a tiny bit of a departure. I mean, he kind of likes to write these post-apocalyptic plays um, that uh, sort of divide people. But this play, Radiant Vermin, which premiered last year at the Soho Theater in London, um, is uh, receiving uh, its premiere here. Um, at um, at 59 East 59th and is uh, a play that is about uh, sort of a uh, a sort of a high-pitched comedy about um, real estate in America and is about real I'm sorry real estate just in the UK I guess but I suppose it's just Mm -hmm. as relevant here Um, and it's basically about uh, this young couple um, are I offered uh, their like their dream house they're uh, a place that uh that they've always dreamed of as exactly what they want, uh, except that it has no electricity or running water, which is something that they're willing to forego until they realize that one of the ways that they get sort of the to complete all the amenities of their dream house is by doing something that is uh, is is perhaps not uh, best done in polite company. Yeah. Is all I'll say. Uh, so it's a little unsavory. Unsavory, um, and uh, but but what what else to expect from Philip Ridley? So I, I, this is going to be interesting to me because I think this is the first time that I will have encountered a Philip Ridley play that is like primarily satirical, and that is going after sort of the idea of what we are willing to do for real estate. Like the the lengths we are willing to go to get that great apartment, to get that you know, to uh, to get those you know floor to ceiling windows, to get that that back garden kind of thing, um, all through <coughs> all through the lens of Philip's kind of uh, fucked up view on the world and and uh, and penchant for violence, um, you know. House Hunters meets a Clockwork Orange. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> yeah, I have to say I saw some production photo- photos from when it was in London and what struck me is how cheery it looked mm-hmm. for a Philip Ridley play. It's very, the set was very bright and white and it's like very cute uh, white couple. I think that there is like an undercurrent of gentrification mm-hmm. in this play as well. Uh, yeah, I was going to do this one. I have another one, so it's okay. But I'm I, so sorry to steal this play okay. from you. It's okay. No, it's okay. There's a lot it's, of, the more enthusiasm, the, more the better. Enthusiasm, the better. Um, but it's always surprised me that Philip Ridley hasn't caught on in the U.S. the way that I mean he's he's huge in the U.K. Yeah, and he's written. I mean, not only does he write plays, he's written books. He's written uh, children's books. If anyone mm-hmm. knew that, um, but he's just he's an incredibly prolific writer, and he's sort of the origin of the In Your Face movement, which I think Sarah Kane has really picked up in the U.S. Um, and he sort of started that movement. Mm-hmm. The two of them. And he just has never caught on in the U.S. the the way that Sarah Kane has, but he has this amazing career in the U.K. Um, so I'm always excited when a play of his comes over because I'm wondering what's gonna 
catch. And I feel like a play like this about real estate and gentrification and finding your dream home. And I feel like that's a very New York sensibility. And I'm pumped to see that. Yeah. It's going to be a, uh... It's gonna be dark. Just prepare yeah. yourselves if you're planning on going to this. Like it's seeing a Philip Ridley play is an experience uh, that uh, will challenge you physically. Yeah. So, and but if, did if, you guys see Mercury Fair? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was almost in a production of Mercury Fair actually. Oh really? I was, I was. I felt like I was in it because all the seats at uh, Signature they pulled out oh. and they were just these like big broken down armchairs yeah. and dining room chairs and stuff and so you were like sitting in this filth with everybody yeah it was crazy oh play is so fucking dark it is <sighs> yeah i'm not sure you've sold me on this <laughs> <laughs> i know that there are some daredevil theater goers out there who like a um i mean there's, there's but the in your face movement is something that i actually i really love is the idea that theater should be a visceral experience sure mm-hmm. and the idea of and it's it's a lovely <laughs> I don't know where it, there, there was a sure there but there was a sure with a big old yeah. eye roll um, it was not wonderful. always not always <laughs> i mean I don't think that you should be, you know, sick to your stomach when watching a Cole Porter musical. You know, every, every <laughs> to, to each his own, and every every uh, every uh, show in its place. But there is something about going to a theater and, and knowing you're going to be physically uncomfortable that is a little bit exciting. You know, it's it's a it's a roller coaster impulse. It's why the hell would anybody go on a roller coaster? You know what I think it is, Jack. For the, for the gross thrill of it. I usually go to the theater by myself mm-hmm. and that doesn't sound like an experience i want to have alone let's go together it mm-hmm. sounds like an experience you need to have with a person yeah. Yeah. that afterwards you can then talk yeah. about it and work through what you've seen mm-hmm. and in fairness to phil ridley and just in, in to be totally clear i'm not saying that like it's just there he's gonna throw blood and vomit at you for 90 minutes i mean the thing that is remarkable about about uh ridley's plays is that they actually they do have a brain to them they are about things yeah um but uses the sort of the vehicle of sort of in your face aesthetic to drive the points home and to reveal things about mundane topics such as real estate that um that are are revelatory and uh and, and meant to make you feel visceral about uh, banal things um, so yeah. Anyway, we'll go together. We'll hold each other's hands. Yeah. It's gonna be great. That sounds great. Sounds good. All right. So I, I actually had a fourth. So I'm okay. Um, Jack. I know. I'm sorry. I'll go. It's okay. Sorry. Uh, so I'm gonna do. It's actually another show that's at Here Arts, called Seen by Everyone, which is by a new uh, new company called Five on a Match. This is their first big production. It's five uh, writers collaborating on it, which we all know could be wonderful or could be a disaster. Um, I love those kind of shows. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Seen by Everyone is... That's... Kristen Marting is the director. She's sort of collaborated on it. She's the artistic director of Here. And it's about... It's a multimedia collaborative piece about the way we mourn on social media and about the way we mourn celebrities as well as what happens to your Facebook page when you die mm-hmm. and the way that the internet sort of keeps all of it alive and, and the way that that can all mash together. So these writers started writing it actually on Facebook, which I think is very interesting, pulling articles and, and piecing things together. And it's, yeah, just about how, let's say, it, uh, cat videos, photos of ultrasounds, proclamations of loneliness, and goodbyes exist in the machine so I, yeah i don't know anything about this company i didn't recognize any of the names of the writers um but can you I, say them just for fun yeah yeah sure let me find it, I have it. i'm curious um meg mccary oh yeah meg mccary matthew Cohn, amir darvish uh enormous munoz and jen tear okay yeah i reckon any bells correct yeah i don't know i didn't recognize any of them but I did go on their Facebook page and watch a bunch of videos. Uh, take that. And um, it was interesting watching sort of this collaborative work. I like watching collaborative work. Hmm. And I do think that social media and the internet keeping fingerprints of everything after everyone dies is interesting. And I haven't seen that explored on stage yet. And I feel I feel like a lot of the times theater is is a couple steps behind um, technology in, in the subject that it addresses and even in the way that we see technology reflected on stage I think we're always a, a little bit behind I haven't seen a play with Snapchat yet but it's coming yeah. um, 
And <laughs> I mean, nor have I seen, like, to be honest with you, I've, I have never seen a play that truly successfully translates the experience of living virtually. Yeah. In a, in a, in a way that didn't feel kitschy. Um, there's always, I, we're, we're still is as a community figuring out how to do that. How to portray that on stage. Yeah. Did you see Dear Evan Hansen? No, I did not no. see Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. But I, I know that they, they I have that, a, that's a strong definitely social media. a lot of progress towards yeah. displaying that on yeah. stage. Yeah. Another show actually that, that actually makes huge strides for that is a musical called Poster Boy um, by Craig Carnelia that mm. is going to be at Williamstown this summer oh. um, and is about sort of uh, an online chat room it mostly takes place within yeah. the online chat room but anyway yeah and I, and I don't know if you guys ever had the experience of someone you know who maybe in the last couple of years has passed away but their Facebook page lives on Absolutely. and yeah. how and then the, it's their birthday and yeah and then it's just it's bizarre and um yeah so I I'm just interested in how they're going to address all of this and uh, the way that our social media presence our internet presence lives on after we're dead that's think about really weird. Think about this podcast, guys. It's going to be around oh, after we're dead. Oh no, <laughs> no, <laughs> though. I said some dumb shit on this podcast. That's of greater concern while you're alive than when you're dead, don't you think? Oh, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I just want people like when they're having nice memories of me, and then I, you know, I don't know. Hey, Jack, remember remember that guy? His views were his own. It was <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, it was him. Okay, so the thing... Sorry, I just thought I'd bring about, this podcast way down. No, it's great. It's <laughs> depressing. The thing I'm going to talk about next, I started out this morning at an excitement level of just like a six. I was like, this sounds cool. I'm sure it'll be great. It's going to be one of those like event of the summer things. And then by the time I finished researching it, I was at like a 15 and I had purchased wow. a ticket that was like three times more expensive than I anticipated. <laughs> So I'm going to talk about it now. And this is the Martin Creed retrospective at Park Avenue Armory. Okay. Okay. So Martin Creed is a visual artist and a musician from the UK. And back in 2001, he won the Turner Prize, which is a very prestigious British art prize that they award annually. And the piece of art that he won it for was at the Tate Museum. And it was a large room that was totally empty. And when you walked in it, the lights turned on and off every five seconds. That's it. Oh, that's it? Yeah. And like in the okay. darkness, they didn't like put a monkey in the middle of the room. And then you see the monkey and let's go ahead and take the monkey away. And much like your reaction here, this was a highly controversial <laughs> thing to win the Turner Prize. And apparently like there were people who went to the exhibit and threw eggs and got very upset about it. Wow. And so I think... His art is the type of art that tends to um, people react to often by saying like, that's not art. And also my five-year-old could do that. So um, each individual art piece may incite that response. But what this is, what they're doing at the Armory this summer is um, gathering all many many a, a full retrospective of his career and so the photo you may have seen that's very popular to represent this piece is a room filled with balloons in a sort of maximal oh, sure. way yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. but i think you can enter it and 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 um move amongst the balloons i think um but it looks very fun, but it also looks like a ball pit, and you're like, eh, that's a ball pit for adults, whatever. That's not like whoa, that. Whoa, whoa, Who doesn't whoa. want a ball pit for adults? Excuse me, yeah. I don't <laughs> like the lack of enthusiasm in your tone about ball pits. Okay, fine. So, But it's not exciting in a like intellectual way, right? All right I mean, I would argue. Anyway, agree to disagree. But in, in totality, I think it will be interesting to experience his work like this including in the, you know, monster drill hall that they have at the armory. So I'm just, I, I initially, like I said, I was like, this sounds great. A lot of um, art exhibits all gathered in a space that I consider to be like one of the most compelling and interesting performance and art exhibiting spaces in the city or for that matter in the world. Um, so I was excited about that and the tickets are only $15 and it's as, uh, you know, visual art tends to be, it is a, uh, it's open for a few hours every day. You can just go at your leisure. You can stroll through at your leisure. And then I was also thinking like, well, is this really a performance space? I guess it feels kind of visceral and interactive. So guess it qualifies, but you know, I'm not sure. But then I listened to his music 
it is so amazing. Oh. It is so, I just, I don't even know if I want to like describe it because then I feel like it'd be like, that sounds kind of cheesy. But like he has a song called Fuck Off. And then he has one called Die. <laughs> and then he has one called like I Don't Want to Move. And like <laughs> these songs just like spoke to me like so <laughs> intensely. I was like, these songs are like my anthem for life. I don't want to move. Love this music. Fuck and it's off, like kind die. of I don't want to move. It's kind of like guitarish and jingly and singer-songwriter in a way that I was like not expecting this somewhat experimental music to be. So he's going to be in town for just four days in June. And those tickets are $45. And that's the ticket that I bought where I was like, I cannot go any further even in this research until I have obtained a ticket to this show. And I bought it for Thursday night in the expectation that I will love it so much that I want to go back another time. Wow. So I am just so very, very excited about this. And then one other note about Martin Creed is that he has a piece of art actually on display right now in New York City at Pier 6 at, Pier 6 at Brooklyn Bridge Park, which is this giant neon sign. You might have seen it. It says the word understanding. Yeah. And it's like on a like 50 foot long steel I-beam and the letters are each 10 feet tall and it's in neon and it yeah. rotates. So that's his work. Cool. And and it's funny when I was looking at his work, I was like, this looks really familiar. And, and then I found a picture of myself back in 2011 in Scotland, like standing in front of a piece of Martin Creed work. <laughs> and I was like, this guy's been speaking to me for years. Yeah. <laughs> so I am super excited about it. Well, all right. That's fantastic. All right. I think that brings us to our conclusion. Anything else anyone wants to add? I mean, I mean, this is the month for me. I'm like catching up on a lot of stuff I missed in May. Yeah. Um, so I was like looking at my calendar. I was like, oh, I'm going to go see all the Tony nominees that I haven't seen yet. Yeah. I'm seeing a Broadway tour show, a show or two. Yeah. Which I'm not in cr that looking that forward to because it's not my favorite way to go to the theater. But like, I actually hate it. Yeah, but I feel like I should. Like, I mean, th th there's a couple that I am genuinely excited to see. Like, Shuffle Along, I'm excited to see. Um, yeah. Uh, and a couple of others, but... Um, it's just the experience of going to Midtown and being crushed throughout the entire process, right? Yeah. Getting yeah. from the subway to the theater, standing in line, getting your ticket in the bathroom line, weaving your way through these, like, yeah. very ornate, but not built for this number of this site people to fit no, in No, as them. people walk eight people across. Like, yeah, and yeah. just your wedge in these tiny little seats. Like, no matter what seat you're sitting on at an off-off-Broadway theater, you're going to have way more leg room than you will at any Broadway house in the city. Yeah. yeah. And, like, you just can't control when you're in a room with a thousand people everyone's behavior. And inevitably, yeah. someone's going to misbehave. Like, it's just so frustrating. There's a part of you that, like, I sit in those seats sometimes. I, I, I'm a I'm a short of stature person, but I sit in some of these seats in Broadway houses, and I'm like, I guess people in the '40s were all four eleven and ninety pounds, yeah. Yeah. because that's what these seats are built for. And I just don't understand. And 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 couldn't be bothered about armrests either. No, no opinion about armrests in the '40s. <laughs> um, they were just happy that Arthur Miller was back. Like that was that was what was going on. And I I I'm like, no man, we were a much comfier generation of Americans. Uh, than perhaps our grandfathers were, yeah. Um, and uh, it needs to, you know. And if you want to enjoy it, you got to get a, like a eighteen dollar glass of wine. Yep, in and, a sippy cup, and, and sippy. overpay for your ticket. Yeah. And no matter what discount you got, it's still you're paying over fifty dollars. There's just, or you're sitting in a seat where you can't see the stage. Yeah. Yeah. I do like the fact that, you know, one of the things I do like about going to Broadway shows that you miss sometimes in off-Broadway and sort of and, and sort of beyond is that everybody's really excited to be there. Like, I think by virtue of the fact that, like, first of all, it's a lot of out-of-towners, but it's also people, they dropped a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. And so they are actively forcing themselves to have a great time until proven otherwise. You know yeah, what I mean? That's like, true. Everybody, no matter what the show is, they want so badly to love it. And there's that something about that pre-show Because they invested in it. They invested. We did it. We got a babysitter. We got on the train. We came here. That just raises my ire. We <laughs> went, I'm just so resentful of those people. We went to Junior's and we got a sandwich for $25. They all and, are either coming from or going to Junior's. Yeah. <laughs> Look, don't knock juniors because I have a long tradition of going there for cheesecake and coffee after, oh, do after you really? a matinee. Absolutely. You too. You're one oh of my the God. people, apparently. I love wow, it. I have I no idea. It. I'll do it by myself. I don't care who knows it. Look, all nice. that being said, I saw the color purple last week and it was oh, amazing. Yes. Yeah. I Cynthia saw it too. Arrivo yes. 
is a, a an alien. Like I don't know her. Did performance. it? Did she stop the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's Standing ovation. Killer. Good show. Killer. All right, I her gotta go see that. Yeah, yeah, I've heard amazing things. I'm seeing that. I'm like seeing Fiddle on the Roof, which I just haven't Great. seen yet. Um, and uh, oh, yeah, and I saw Waitress and just cried. Just okay. cried. Yeah. I saw I that. I went by myself. That. It was it was like... this wonderful moment. I I tweeted about this. Is they started singing "She Used to Be Mine." I just bawled. The woman next to me was also by herself. Starts crying, and at the end, she's like, "Do you want a milk dud?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yes." I've never wanted a milk dud more. And in my then life. she shared a milk dud. And I was like, "Yeah." How kind. We just went through this together. Oh, by the way, did we figure out about uh, pies? Do you have, do they sell pies? They They do. do. They do. Um, And they do put pie smell, but I think it's only in the orchestra because I could not smell it in the mezzanine. There's an article in the Times about how they put the pie smell in. And there's a convection oven basically right outside Mm -hmm. the doors to the orchestra level. That's fantastic. Okay, because I want to know, because so when you go to intermission, you get yourself a little pie for like $95? Is that what the deal is? I okay. think that's about they, the right price. Or they walk through it, you know, with their little... Um, what? Like, peanut. Yeah, get yeah, your peanuts. Get your peanuts. Yeah. They also have little pies in mason jars that you can buy. I'm always upset when with I... With teeny tiny spoons. I'm always upset when they have like the, the, the snack barkers that like from the ballpark in a Broadway house that if I throw off the signal for peanut, they don't throw it to me. Like I want that. I want that <laughs> baseball experience. I want that there. That's always a very polite version of that. I don't care for it at all. <laughs> I don't care for it at all. Um, throw me some peanuts, man. Let's have a time. I don't know. There's no throwing at the theater. I feel like, I feel, you, I feel like you could have gotten away with it at like Rock of Ages. I feel like Rock yeah. of Ages, you're going to throw me some peanuts. Um, I, uh, I, a show that I stage managed in a theater that will remain nameless, that but does serve peanuts among other concession items. So I was in the booth, and um, the whole time I kept hearing what I thought was candy wrapper sound, which is annoying, but whatever. They were in the back row because they were right in front of the booth. And uh, I came out at the end of the show and the audience had cleared out and the woman who'd been sitting in front of me was eating peanuts. That's what that sound had yeah. been. And throwing the shells on the floor. Like we were like at, at a base, the ball game. Like at the ball game. Why would you there was serve a huge... shelled peanuts? I mean, I'm talking, well, by the way, when I'm saying yeah. throwing peanuts, I'm talking about just no shells, yeah. you know, and I will empty the packet into my hand prior to curtain right. so that I'm not crinkling bags. And I, no, shells, no, that person goes to jail. I'm not yeah. really sure, actually, that even the process you're talking about, Jack, having them in your hand is not disruptive because you're like munching on a crunchy sounding food object. I make it work. I figure it out. I feel like peanuts are less distracting than potato chips. Potato oh, chip yeah. Potato chips worse. is a nightmare. Or popcorn would actually even be worse. <laughs> this is just giving me like so much anxiety about the mere thought of going to the theater. Yeah. And someone's shelling peanuts next to you. <laughs> I was at I was at a performance of Daphne's Dive last night, and it was the perfect storm. I had three people, uh, one, beh- one directly behind me and the two people next to me at the same time all unwrap a lozenge. <laughs> It was a it was a, a stereo it, it was experience. A, it was a surround sound crinkle experience, <laughs> and I wanted to hurt. I mean, it was just the the things that go through your head in the middle of uh, a crinkle symphony <laughs> is are outrageous. Crinkle symphony is my show in Fringe two thousand seventeen. <laughs> nationwide, do you think are consumed in the theater? What, say it again, please. What percentages of the lozenges consumed? nationwide do oh. you think are consumed in a theater because i'm thinking like upwards of 90 percent. yeah because who are these lodgings consumers? but no but look it, look it look to play devil's advocate for just a moment because i feel for them um and i've loved this i hope we're still recording by the way <laughs> okay, um, because cool. because this is important to me um i understand the impulse it is because you feel a tickle in your throat you feel a cough coming on and you do not want to disturb your fellow theater patrons with a coughing fit and i admire that that's a noble impulse but you unwrap them beforehand you unwrap them. I told you the... the walking, yeah. I don't see people having coughing fits walking down the street. Why are these people afflicted with coughing fits in the Because theater? they've been told yeah. they have to be quiet. And so you're yeah. hyper-conscious you're of it. I think that's... creating the I think, yeah, anxiety it's thing, creates the... It's that thing where like you see someone smoking on stage and you know that it's not real smoke, but it still makes you want to cough. Do you ever yeah, have that? Sure. It's that, no. it's that thing. It's a, it's a strange phenomenon. I mean, I, just, I always remember it was some Broadway show and I sat next to this, this, this older woman who... It remains my hero, who uh, right as the lights were coming to, right before the lights came in, she took out a, one of those Ziploc bags that is the slide opener, so it made no noise, and it was a little baggie full of unwrapped lozenges. 
And what she Gold did. Gold star. And what she did was she silently unzipped the bag. She popped one lozenge in her mouth as light was going down. And then she took one and she put it in the breast pocket of her jacket. And then she zipped it. And then she soundlessly zipped it back. That is a her pro. Bag. And I was sitting there. And I actually, after the show, and then she did the same thing in her mission. Because she, she indeed had a cough and she was coughing in her mission. And then after the show, I forgot what it was. I just turned to her and I said, you are my theatrical hero. <laughs> that goes, woman needs to make a YouTube video for distribution I to all like, theater patrons. It's Tennessee Williams, it's August Wilson, and it's you. And it's <laughs> and then like Stephen Sondheim. You know what I mean? Like that was like my my reaction in that moment. It was just oh God, God bless okay, that woman. I propose, Lindsay, can you get her in here for an interview? Yeah. Yeah, we need to track her down. Yeah. If you're listening, Lozenge lady. Lozenge yeah. Lady. And I and I and I said I said that was amazing. I really like that you did that. And she just said in the sweetest voice, she was just like I don't like to bother anybody. And I was like, I want to I want to get that stenciled on my wall. <laughs> I just if the world would be a better place if we all thought like that woman. Ugh. I don't want to bother anybody. I I love that woman too. <laughs> She's great. We should name a theater after her. I want a t-shirt that says that. I don't want to bother anybody. Uh, you know, when, when I get that Maximus store up and running, I'm going to put actually, that in there. I actually want the t-shirt to say, I don't want you to bother anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Someday we need to do a podcast that's like a little freewheeling where we just talk about some of the craziest experiences. Oh god! Oh, I got some good ones. Because I feel like we're all at the point now where we've got some tales to tell. Yeah. Um, I would love to do that. Do a summer special. Do like a twenty minute episode. We all just like you know have a couple drinks. Bring our wildest. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right, let's do it. I like it. In the meantime, go see some shows. That's a wrap. Thanks all. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Max Moo Theater and Performance Podcast. What are you excited to see this month? Let us know on Twitter. Max Moo is at Max Moo. Jack is at Jack in Brooklyn. Liz is at Miss Liz Richards. And I'm at Lindsay Behrens. We'll see you soon. Theatrical Media. <laughs>